0: hello hey how are you
1: oh hey how are you pretty good yeah yeah you sound do you sound good is that uh is that how you sound when you're good i guess i don't i don't know
0: how are you everything okay there is
1: this what i sound
0: like when i'm good i don't know if you're good or not
1: uh well, you know, I've been taking a lot of car naps lately.
0: I saw that I saw there was a a tweet or an Instagram post that you had slept in your car uh on a rainy rainy day or something.
1: Yeah, that happened again today. It was a sunny day today, but I decided I would take a nap in my car. So I'm just I'm just kind of I've just arrived. I have arrived back on the scene. Um from from uh, the arms of Morpheus.
0: Where is the car parked when you're doing the sleeping? Parking lot. Yeah, but well, I mean like where? Like like a Kmart or
1: Oh, sure, you would think like uh it would be like a Walmart. But no, we're in the town here and there are, we don't have those stores here in the town. <clears throat> the big box stores are yeah. not in the center of town. So no, I'm in I'm uh today I was parked in front of a boutique Italian grocery store. <laughs> that sells like imported cans of Italian beans because the, because our beans aren't, aren't good enough. If you're really making, if you're really serious about making Italian food of a certain kind.
0: So what happens with you in the car, you in the car and, and it occurs to you that you're tired and you need to sleep or is it more like you're going to park there with the intent of sleeping?
1: No, it's more spontaneous. You're right. I'm, I, I, uh, I pull into a parking spot and then I say, what am I in a hurry to do? Like I zipped into this parking spot, ready to, ready to jump out of the car. And, but what really, what really am I, am I so, what is so important? And I think about that for a second. I go, Hmm, that's true. I'm just going to, I'm going to jump out of here and I'm going to go to somewhere else. I'm not going to be able to take a nap there. Right. I Can't go into a cafe and take a nap. So I uh, I recline the seat. Oh, so you see sleeping in the front? Yeah. Yeah. Recline the seat and just um, reclines all the way. And then I'm, I'm mostly invisible to passerby. Uh-huh. But I'm, uh, today being the exception, I slept for two and a half hours in the car. So I'm a little bit I'm a little bit groggy. I feel like I I feel like I just woke up because I did. Just wake up. <laughs> But other than that Dan I'm fine and in and and in, in many ways in many cultures you could say taking a 2 hour nap in the car in front of an Italian grocery store is actually like
0: could you be better. Yeah, it seems like that would be the best the best thing.
1: It's kind of it's kind of pretty good. Yeah. Yeah, I'm feeling good about it. I feel like I'm making good choices.
0: I've never been much of a a, a nap type person. I think we've talked about this, but I think the last time that I remember taking a nap when I wasn't sick, you know, when you kind of involuntarily fall asleep or you just feel so terrible, you you go to sleep at a time that's not your normal time, mm-hmm. I think I was about four. Mm-hmm. My mom my mom said I ref- started to refuse to nap between the ages of two and three, and I don't remember willingly laying down to rest during the day when I was well. Mm-hmm. Except no, I take that back. There was there was one time in high school and I remember another time in college. So I take <laughs> that I take that back. Wow. And I want uh, to, but this is the thing. I'm not I'm not proud of that. Like I'm admitting something I'm I wish I, I wish was different. But whenever I take a nap in the or day try in there, or try right. to do well, there are I probably could fall asleep some days, but whenever I've done that or tried to do it. I wake up and I feel terrible the rest of the day. I feel terrible. I feel right. groggy. I feel weird. I feel like half drunk. Sometimes I'll get like a heartbeat weird heartbeat from it. hmm Yeah. Does any of that happen or do you like feel refreshed and like ready to to go? Uh
1: you know, the whole but the whole thing you're describing, like groggy, half drunk. I mean, that's why people have three drinks at, at lunch. <laughs> that's their that's a feeling they're trying to accomplish (laughs) so it's so it's so. it's, it's a thing where you just need to it's just a little it's a mental switch you need to think wow i'm a little i got a little buzz woo yeah instead of thinking like oh fuck i'm really off my game yeah uh in all the in the 25 years that i suffered from uh like diagnosable depression yeah every day i felt terrible enough it, like you were describing being sick, I felt that feeling of like, ugh, uh, I'm going to go take a nap because it's preferable to any of the any else of this, right? Yeah, sure. Um, nowadays, it's just for me. It's just a uh, just an like an an additive because I've discovered I didn't know this about myself, but I've discovered I didn't know this prior to getting prior to getting one of those sleep apps, I didn't realize that I was only typically sleeping four or five hours a night. I thought I was like, I thought I was Mr. Healthy eight hours guy. Oh, really? But I don't actually lay down until, I mean, best case scenario, I lay down in my bed at two in the morning, but then I futz around on my phone sometimes until four in the morning. Yeah. And then I sleep somewhat fitfully, do a lot of tossing and turning. And then, you know, even on a good day, I wake, wake up at 9. Uh, for the last week, I've been waking up at 6.30. So I have a sleep deficit.
0: You're, making, and, you're just making up for it with, with naps. I have a weird sleep thing going on. I think we're linked or something because I've been having a thing. I was telling Merlin about this where I've been waking up at 5, 5 in the
1: morning. That's not a normal thing for you five in the morning,
0: God, no, no, I mean, I wake up early, but six thirty, please uh, yeah. I mean, five is not any time to that I want to wake up, and it doesn't really matter when I go to sleep. If I go to sleep at ten, I'll wake up at five. If I go to well, I can't usually fall asleep that early, but if I you know go to sleep at ten thirty, five if I go to sleep at eleven thirty five doesn't huh. seem to matter, huh I'm not I, happy about it.
1: My friend Chad reports this same uh this same story. He's going to wake up at the crack of dawn, no matter when he goes to sleep. That seems to me to be like a true curse. Um, it's only been going on for a, a couple of weeks, but I want it to stop. Yeah. Well, let's not call it a curse then. Yeah.
0: Maybe, uh, freak you know, me out.
1: yeah, sorry. Maybe, you know, like I'm not saying that you should go read the, read the Torah and see if there's some sign that you're missing. <laughs> um, but yeah, I sleep hygiene, I guess they call it. And I, I, uh, I mean, I practice it in the sense that I don't have a television in my room. But now that we have these terrible, terrible, terrible phones, Mm -hmm. it doesn't matter. Everywhere you go, you have a terrible media device just waiting to be exploited, just waiting for you to spend more time looking at it than you want. That's what it's become for me. It has become that I am looking at it more than I even want. And that's that's when it seems like it's a dangerous thing. When, when you cannot say, because for a while there, it was like, oh, I know I look at my phone too much, but it's, you know, it's fun. Like I, I enjoy looking at it. And so I just have to, like anything that I enjoy, that I tend, that I would trend toward abusing, I just need to be mindful, mindful that I don't over, uh, overindulge. But now I've, uh, now I'm into a thing where I wish I looked at my phone less and not because I think it's bad, but because I, I actually, I actually don't want to look at it and I'm still looking at it. And that's, and I guess I foresaw this when I realized that we were all doing this and there was no end in sight we all had these devices. We were all looking at them constantly, and there w- did, it didn't appear that it was a fad that was going to go away. Right? It's not like it was handheld Donkey Kong or something. Right? It was now like um, it was essential, and it was only going to get more essential. But for for a while, I, I I floated along. I let myself I let myself take a little bit more OxyContin every day knowing how dangerous it was dangerous it was
0: yeah
1: and now i feel like it's a curse and not not a curse that it's a that's legitimately like equivalent to a uh equivalent to a drug it's having the same effects it is no longer exciting it's no longer good that it's delivering a constant stream of news and a constant stream of my friends all jumping up and down right waving their arms in the air.
0: Cause last week you told me you were off of Twitter still. And now you're sort of having feeling anti-technology feelings.
1: No, 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 no. I don't think it's anti-technology. I mean, I think the, um, I think the, it, it's, it's the same way I feel about the internet. I feel like the potential of the device is amazing. Extraordinary. It's just the way that we have the, the small mindedness, of the way we're exploiting the technology is the thing that's depressing. You know, the internet is still in It's still tremendous. Just like television is an incredible, it's, it is potentially an incredible piece of technology. I mean, it is, there's no arguing that uh, there's no arguing that television has forever changed the world, but I don't think anybody would say that we were using television to its best advantage. And the ship has sailed on the internet for sure. And now the phones too are just, and I guess there's no reason to think it would have been otherwise, but they're, they've just become a sluice of, of runoff. It no longer feels enlightened. And that's, that's sad. I don't think it has anything to do with technology. I think it's just that we build these tools and then, we don't seem to be able to find a way to exploit them to their to their highest possibility. And, right. and what's crazy, of course, is that that the argument that television is garbage is because it has to cater to the to the mean, right? There are too many; they're just normals, and you can't um, you can't make highbrow TV. I guess is the argument because people won't buy it, right? but that argument is increasingly true on the internet and on our phones where there's an audience for everything. You could have an audience of 15 people and make a thing. It's just that that nobody will do it because it's not it's not going to make them rich. I mean, I I'm I'm lamenting a little bit the fall of Medium as a uh, as a platform. Like Medium seemed to Medium was very idealistic. Yeah. They were going to reinvent journalism. They were going to pay writers, and it seemed like it was working. Seemed like it except, was working,
0: except behind the scenes, it was not
1: working. Well, sure. I mean, behind the scenes, they hired 200 employees, and 150 of them weren't doing any work. And they had 70 different kinds of MMs in their employee cafeteria, <laughs> and there was an in-house masseuse. Really? Like you? you this is real. I'm throwing this around uh, just because. Tech, I think
0: you're probably right
1: but like in-house yoga was uh, guru, you know, and um, that's not sustainable, but also they took a thousand rounds of funding at which point uh, the, a thousand rounds of funding. The only goal of which is the only reason people are giving them that money. And the only reason they're asking for it is that they expect to be enormous. And, that is antithetical, I guess, to being good. Right. Like there's absolutely no reason why Medium couldn't be a publishing platform for smart, long-form articles where people, where they manage to pay their writers, if it was built with the idea of it being at a, on a sustainable scale, on a small scale. But if you're going to do that, you don't take $170 million in funding right. and try and be the new Facebook because you're not going to be the new Facebook by having the president write thoughtful, long-form essays. You know, you can't have that and also be the new Facebook. Right. Because to be the new Facebook, you have to appeal to the mass. And the mass doesn't want to read long form articles. The mass wants to, uh, you know, like have long comment sections after interesting articles where the comments are all, this stupid. You should go to my website, you know. So I just, I feel like this happens over and over again. I mean, when they took Vine away, it was like, oh, Vine wasn't causing anybody any problems. Vine wasn't hurting anybody's feelings. Vine was great, but it didn't, it didn't make a billion dollars. And so unfortunately we, sorry, we can't keep it open. And that's. You know, that's the trend. I mean, I've talked about it before, right? I want to make a television show. I think I could make a good television show. But all the people I know in television are like, yeah, sure. You and everybody that thinks they're smart thinks they can make a good television show. But nobody wants to watch your shows. Nobody wants to watch a show where you sit around and talk about geography (laughs) or whatever. And uh, how are you going to get anybody to give you money to do that? It's like, yeah, I mean... I suppose if um if I was someone that woke up in the morning and was powered by Satan, I could overcome that kind of naysaying. Yeah. But I'm not, Dan. I have I float on a cloud supported by <laughs> s- supported by one hand of the Buddha. Right. And that's not the Buddha's not going to give me any startup cash. No. For a TV show about geography. No so that so now the phone is a curse, right every time I pick it up I'm looking for the wrong things i'm looking for the I'm looking for instant gratification the wrong kind of stimulus
0: What is it that you're doing is it is it Instagram since you're off of twitter what, well, what is so, it, Facebook no, I mean, mainly or
1: it, no no, I never go on any of those things but but either i'm either i'm reading either I'm following hyperlinks through a wiki universe where it becomes unclear what the what the value add of it is it's certainly fun it you, it is arguably it's arguably smart it's a choose your own adventure i start reading about how many how many u boats survived the war and and I don't know why.
0: <laughs> how, uh, many, how many survived?
1: Well, it's an interesting story, actually. A lot of U-boats were out at sea at the end of hostilities, at the cessation of hostilities. The German Navy was still pretty functional, whereas the German Army was decimated, and so was the Air Force. But the Navy was puttering right along. They could have kept sinking ships for months and months. So there are all these U-boats out there. And they all get the message like, war's over, come back home. And, you know, they had a, there was a, I guess, a code, a code of honor. Mm-hmm. So they didn't keep sinking ships because their code of honor. But there were a couple of guys that made a few, like, made a few fake passes on some convoys just to prove to themselves that they could. And two submarines sailed all the way to Argentina. They just said, well, no. Screw you and, and took it on the lamb, still the Argentina, but anyway, so you, you don't have to follow very many hyperlinks before you're looking at the world record hot air balloon solo ascent (laughs) or before you're, you know, looking at some sort of how some sort of diagram where you can put in a light switch in the front at the front door of your house that turns all your lights off at once or reading about the the very earliest days of the formation of Captain Who who is a who li- is a listener by the way mm, her daughter or or son-in-law right daughter-in-law daughter's son-in-law uh yeah the dragons obviously not captain Tennille at the beginning but the dragons but but at the end of a day of that what have i been pursuing and what have i accomplished and what is like when i was when i was 18 that would have been i would have considered that like um well let, let's even let's even say if i were if i were 18 and compare it to now like you could argue i was getting an education mm-hmm. right i was con- it was a con- it was my cle it was a continuing education in this sort of wide swath of what interests me and it isn't trivia. I'm not memorizing trivia. You wouldn't even necessarily call it trivial information, but it isn't in the pursuit of anything. I'm not, I'm not doing that because I'm doing research in order to write my Broadway show about U-boats, captain and Tennille and you know, like electrical wiring. Right. Um, so I'm, I'm, so I'm, I'm filling up these little manila envelopes in my mind and going, well, I've got some, got some more pieces of paper for my U boat file. <laughs> and let's see, where's the electrical <laughs> stuff. Here's a little bit I put in there. And, uh, I already know quite a bit about captain Tennille, but I, but I, but I read it up. I read up on it again. So it just feels very much like, um, I don't know. I mean, it could be, I mean, every time you go out and play basketball, I guess there, I guess you are just playing basketball again. You know? Yeah. It's not like each basketball game pushes, pushes, significantly into a new realm of understanding you know each basketball game improves your basketball game a little bit but it is just a diversion and i guess maybe my basketball is is wikiing wiki holes Mm -hmm. but because i have my phone with me all the time i'm wiki holing every time i I mean, you, you, it happens all the all the time if, to all of us. Now, you pull up to a stoplight; the light turns green. The person in the front doesn't move. Yeah, and you know I mean, why. You know exactly why. Yeah, they're texting somebody, or they're you know reading an email, and uh, and I guess I just don't feel like they're it,
0: well. We've been we've been trained, man. We've been trained that we should always, at any given moment, we should be having some kind of input we should, we should not, we, at any moment at all times, if there's a lull in conversation, if there's a commercial on TV, if there's a pause for some reason at a stoplight or anything else, like we have been trained to feel that that's something that should be filled with, Oh, well, I'll, I'll
1: look at my phone during that time. Well, and uh, just, uh, just the, um, the way you describe that I feel like is in the, in the form in the conspiratorial form, right? That we have been trained and it presumes that there is a diabolical, a diabolical center to it. And even Steve jobs in all his, um, diabolicalness (laughs) and Jeff Bezos and, and Sergey Brin, all these people, I don't think any of them, in the early days or even in the mid period said, I'm building this as a interface. But what my real goal is, is to capture everyone's attention constantly Yeah, in order to profit from it. You know, they were all trying to build their little cool gizmos. It's really not that we have been trained, but that we have trained ourselves. Right. And voluntarily have, have pursued this and discovered it all together as a group. We're generation one of this who were, you know, you talk about millennials or whatever being the first generation of a total of total internet, but they were consuming internet that was built by us. Like we're the first generation that was both building and conceiving and also consuming simultaneously like mm-hmm. it was it was our responsibility more or less to if there was going to be a theory like a, a theory in toto of what the internet was it was it was our responsibility and in the same way that we developed drone remote murder technologies in the form of drone warfare right we developed that technology like before and also um, divorced from anybody really talking about whether or not it was or how we were going to employ it in a way that was consistent with like what the state department would, what the state department input, you know, Um, how do you deploy this in a way that is diplomatic how do you deploy this in a way that is um, consistent with our values? How, what, what are our values and how do they now they are being tested by drones. And how do we respond to that? And there are you know they, at the within the Army and the Navy and the Air Force and the Marines, there are values being expressed, and some of those values we've been working on for 500 years. Some of them are a collection of, you know, 500 years worth of warfare or 2,500 years. Like how do you show mercy? What do how do you treat prisoners? What is, um, you know, what's our obligation to aid the wounded of the enemy? Mm Mm-hmm. But we developed this drone technology so fast, and there really wasn't the Air Force did not go out and say go out to the universities and say, Tell us, what do you think? How how would we develop a moral code around this device? They're just like, This is cool. You know what this will do? This'll allow us to bomb these people without having to put anybody at risk. This will allow us to accomplish this, you know, this um, projection of force without, you know, add a lot. A lower price and so by that measure it's an unqualified good off we go and it was sort of the same with with the internet right this will allow us to do this and so we don't need to think about the repercussions because we're living in a in a um, libertarian society and it's up to you to protect yourself nobody's making you do it all you have to do is turn it off (laughs) and that's the extent (laughs) of the the philosophy behind it yeah sure we're just pushing garbage here but that's not our responsibility you can turn it off if you want and you know i i people send me little links like oh this is the great newsletter oh you should go to this reddit it's like oh yeah i should go to that reddit but but it's the same problem. You know, even the high quality stuff on the internet is just sort of a digest of interesting thought tidbits. You know, there isn't a, there isn't a place where people are collective, are exercising collective power to, to extend the franchise. And so I look at my phone every day and it just has become this, um, it's the ring, you know? Yeah. I want to put it on. You have to kind of put it on. Yeah. And, and yet every time I do it, it saps me of strength and it allows Sauron to see me. And it, (laughs) it eventually makes me greedy and, paranoid and it's a you know it's a tremendous burden that gets heavier all the time and no one else can shoulder it for me because they're all wearing rings too why can't you just stop though well that's the thing i mean i
0: you don't it doesn't sound like it's making you happy
1: you know well but that's the you would say the exact thing to somebody that was complaining about being addicted to to uh So you're right, putting why, this
0: in the category of a of a true a true addiction.
1: Well, because in a lot of cases the way you get addicted to drugs is that it that you have some chronic pain. You have neck pain or back pain. You have a, you have ulcers. You have anxiety and the drug is a tool. And it's in in some cases like a blessed tool. If you have chronic pain and someone gives you a little bit of morphine, I mean, what an incredible gift it is. But the problem is that morphine is a very powerful drug. And as you become addicted to it, the efficacy of it wears off and the need for it increases. And suddenly it becomes a, a tremendous burden and the the history of pain relief the history of treating chronic pain which is really mostly a 20th century problem it's fairly recent that we had such powerful painkillers and we're still in the we're still in the era of trying to solve this problem because we have a lot of different painkillers and yet we are unable to figure out how to give people relief from pain without causing them to become slaves right. to it. And OxyContin was supposed to be a solution, a slow release pill that you couldn't abuse because if you took it, it just took all day to kind of drip out the morphine. But of course, people crushed it up and snorted it and now it's, the, now it's a plague upon the land. It's created, OxyContin has created more heroin addicts since it's invention, then, then the opium wars, you know, than any, anything before it. And, you know, how does addiction work? Th- those things are working on the body and we can say, Oh, they're stimulating the, we're st- they're stimulating nerve endings in this sort of way. They're releasing natural chemicals in the brain that are, uh, that cause euphoria it's much harder to extend that analogy to things like our phone and say like, well, but of course the phone is I'm sure also releasing dopamine in the same way with these, this steady drip of either gratification or antagonism that causes us to have reactions that are maybe un, unnaturally intensified, unnaturally, that they're they're more frequent more frequent stimulation than we're built to handle like at any other point in time in the history of time you would have intense encounters with people and then long long periods where he sat in a chair and stared out the window long long periods where he did routine work where he sat on a sat on the back of a horse or he he work behind a plow or even if you were, uh, doing interesting work, it was lots and lots of, of long form writing. Right. And now all of us are sitting and just like someone is tapping on our mental clitorises <laughs> all day. God. Like check it out, check it out, check it out, check it out. Look, 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 think about this. Think about this. So much so that now we pull up to a traffic light and can't spend the two minutes without it. And so, yeah, I, I I mean, to say like, why can't you just step away? And of course the, the analogy of like, what is this tool trying to solve? Well, I can, I can talk to my friends at long distance. Now I can make plans with people and I can make plans with my mom. I can. um, I mean, the, the
0: benefits are tremendous. I, I get what you're saying,
1: but I, but I just, it would be very, very hard for me to make the leap. And I know some people are going back to flip phones, truly, truly, truly cool cats, are going back to flip phones because they, you know, because they aren't smart. And, uh, I'm just starting to really, really be on the, on the verge of it. Yeah. Uh, On the verge of that, of of trying to think about how to head off the inevitability of, of what the rest of my life looks like interacting with these machines. I, I think I probably told you, right? the, I remember sitting in my apartment smoking export A's and I imagined that there was a finite number of export A's I was going to smoke in my life. Right. And if you can, if you included Winston's in that equation and Camel filters, if you put every cigarette I was ever going to smoke for the rest of my life, including ones I bummed and you could know that number. And just put them all in the room with me right now. Just cartons stacked up against the wall. Cartons in the middle of the room. Cartons, a pyramid of cigarette cartons. And just said, have at it. You know, this is the number of cigarettes you're going to smoke. You're not thinking of it that way. You're only thinking about the next cigarette. But actually, it's this number. And you're going to have to work through this pile. This is your goal. (laughs) Get to the bottom of this. You know, how repulsive. And with our phones, every day we wake up and say, Oh, I got to, you know, I got that meeting. I got that appointment. I got to look at my calendar. I'm then I got to text that guy and Oh, here I'm getting a text from somebody. But when you think about like, this is, I got how many more years to my life? 40, 50, 50 years, let's say inshallah. And how is this going? How is this phone going to be with, with me for the next 50 years as the foreign phone, of course, morphs into right. some kind of, um, like biological quantum computer, how, what, what benefits am I accruing now that make me feel like, boy, I can't wait to see how, how AR and VR improves my life
0: we would like to thank squarespace our sponsor today squarespace make your next move these guys are going to help you make your next website and it's going to be beautiful you can go there you can get a unique domain they're they're a website company they make it easy to make websites but they're more than that You can go there and you can make a logo for your website. They've got a built-in tool for that. You can sell stuff with their e-commerce solution built in. You can register a domain. In fact, you get a free domain if you sign up for a year. But now, if all you want is the domain, you can go to Squarespace too. Get your unique domain and then create that beautiful site. Beautiful award-winning designer templates. All there. Award-winning 24-7 customer support. You name it. Everything there, fully transparent, easy to set up, super flexible for any kind of website. Used by a ton of people creatives, people in business, musicians, designers, artists, restaurants, photographers. You name it. They've got a beautiful template for it. And everything that you do there when you create these sites, you customize them and make them your own. But you do that just by to- making little toggles, moving little sliders. You don't need HTML, you don't need CSS. They keep it simple. So when you decide to sign up for Squarespace, you'll go to squarespace.com, use the offer code ROADWORK, one word, ROADWORK, and you will get 10% off your first purchase to show your support for this show. So use that code ROADWORK to get 10% off your first purchase at squarespace.com. Yeah, I don't know. You know, I hate to say this. I hate to say what I'm about to say because it's going to make me sound antiquated and old. But I'm at the point now where a lot of the new technologies that are coming out, VR, things like that, I really get it. I really, you know, I've used these augmented reality things. I've used the VR headsets. I used them years and years ago when they were very, very new. And I've used the latest, greatest ones that the gamers are using. And I think they're pretty cool. Like, that's Mm -hmm. that's kind of neat. It's neat. It's a novelty. But... I don't really want those things to be I'm not yeah you know, I'm not working against it I'm not rallying you know my powers against it but <laughs> I don't really really want these things to be the way that because they're they feel to me very isolating any iPhones are very isolating iPads are very isolating and I know that in the commercials they show how you're making these great videos and how you're you're facetiming with people you would yes though I'm not talking about that I'm talking about the image of there's the guy standing at the stop sign next to the person that could have become the love of his life but he doesn't notice her or him because he's staring down at his phone that's that's the image of the iPhone that I have in 2017 it's these things are not really they're not really bringing people together they're they're allowing us to make connections with people that we wouldn't be able to have any other way because they're they're in far off lands but we're not having connections with the people that are near us at all either unless we all do this really weird thing of like put the phone down and you know i I watch a lot of like period pieces, documentaries and shows that take place in other time periods. And I'm always, you know, I love it when they show like a 1970s, 80s office, nobody's got computers anywhere because there were none. And like their idea of work is like they're typing or writing something down or talking to somebody and that they're drawing, you know, and the amount of time that my son spends in front of a screen, he would spend every waking moment playing games or doing something with a computer or an iPad. And my little girl, even though she has access to the same stuff, she would much rather be drawing or, uh, or cutting up paper and gluing things or crayons or whatever or clay. And that's, it, it's, it's funny because when I was a little kid, I didn't have any computers, of course. So I did all the stuff that she does. But the minute that I got that Commodore sixty four, forget it. That was all done. That was over. You know? I mean, I what do you want to draw for? Like, I can I can do stuff on the computer. I can play games. I can write code. Like, why would I want to draw anymore? <laughs> and I I I seriously, I, I totally see the value of computers and totally see the value of these phones. I mean, this is what I do. I, I write code every single day still. You know, I make applications. I build web services. Is what I do. But and I've t- taking away the computers. I don't know what I'd be doing for a living. Mm-hmm. I have no idea.
1: I, know, and I, I think that's the innocence of it, and the, and the way that our generation became the agents of this. I, I, I was walking through Pioneer Square in Seattle a couple of days ago. And uh, I bumped into a guy, nice guy who's a listener of the program. And I said, what kind of work do you do? And he joked and said, oh, you'll hate it because I'm in tech. (laughs) Lol. (laughs) And, you know, of course, I don't hate tech. I love tech. All my friends are in tech. But I am a, I do try to be a critical thinker about it. And I said, no, what do you do? And he said, well, I'm in VR. I'm doing vr and i said ar or vr and he was like just vr we're straight we're strict vr and talking to him for a little bit right it was exciting you could see that this was a good job uh th- this is a good job in a brand new field you have that excitement of like pioneering a thing that excitement of knowing that you're working on something that doesn't exist yet in the world and when you release your thing mm. It's going, to, it's going to flip people out. Like, oh boy, when, you, when we get to version three of this, like watch out world. <laughs> and yeah. the, ex, the excitement <laughs> that, that technology provides, right? Because it does feel like we're on the cusp of something. And, and I keep coming back to self-driving cars, but also VR. Like we're on the cusp of a real switch into a new thing. A new way of being people, potentially being people together in a culture. Um, but my bet is that that firm does not have an in house ethicist, nor do they have an in house philosopher. And so the philosophizing is being done by engineers who we have stipulated many times on this program are ill suited to philosophizing. Right. That's not their core competency. And so it becomes a question of what can we build and how do we build it? And the and the why are we building this is, is answered, is asked and answered. Why do we build this? Because we can you know, um, why do we build this? Because it will be popular and it will make us money. Why do we, why are we building this? Because if we don't build it, someone else will, but there's no one really saying like, what is this bringing us in the, in the short term? I understand what it's bringing us. I'll be able to walk down the street and I'll be able to look at a building and, uh, this is AR, of course. Be looking at a building and the and the Wikipedia page for that building will come up in my screen. And if I want to look at it, I'll be able to. And I'll be able to see all the people around me that are single and into model trains. Right. It'll tell me where they all are. And I'll never have to look at a map again. And all these things that are sort of like, well, I didn't mind looking at maps, but okay. And if I wanted to look at the Wikipedia page of that building, I guess I it's easier to have it in my... I, my headset, but the VR, of course, I mean, I, and I joked to him, I was like, oh, basically you're in the porn industry. And he said, no, in fact, surprisingly only 30% of the VR stuff is porn. (laughs) Um, But what's
0: what I don't want to interrupt you, but the thing that scares me, the thing that, that uh, scares is the wrong word. The thing that concerns me is eventually getting by in the world will require these kinds of things. Like I moved to Austin, Texas well after the iPhone existed. I moved here, I guess about six years ago.
1: Mm.
0: I have never tried to navigate Austin except by using maps in other words i spent a lot of time in florida i spent a lot of time in uh in north carolina living there before there was an iphone so for me i just started to learn the roads and remembered where i was and said all right if i get on this road i get over here but i noticed that in austin moving here not knowing my way around because i'd only visited here as a tourist that when i moved here of course, you know, pull out the phone. Where do I want to? Okay, I got to go to the Home Depot to buy this thing. Okay, put that in. Get on this road, drive down here. Okay, cool. And you're just sort of driving around. You're not really paying attention. You're just kind of driving around. And I realized after I'd been here for a couple of years that I sure I knew my way around the neighborhood. I knew the close by things. But if you said, okay, how do I get from here to like this part of South Congress? I'd be like, well, okay. Like I know I got to get on you know this road and go here. But I'm not exactly sure how far it is or how long that'll take because I've been using maps to just tell me all of that. Google maps was telling me that so I could do other things. Uh, And as a result, I didn't, so I started to stop using it because I want to know where I'm going uh, for when, when, you know, when the grid goes offline and everybody, you know, has no technology anymore. My prepping isn't like stockpiling cans of uh, soup. It's just knowing the roads.
1: And and what's, what's interesting of course is that um, I've never been to Austin since the invention of the iPhone. Right. I used to go to Austin all the time, five times a year, mm-hmm. but post iPhone, you know, the iPhone arrived just about the, well, what, the last couple of tours we did. Um, our drummer Nabil had an iPhone, but there weren't, uh, there wasn't Apple maps, of course there yeah. was Google, Google maps, maps but, yeah. but there wasn't, um, they didn't have an, a navigation aspect to it, or at least I don't remember. We never used it. The, uh, we had those in car, you yeah, know, Tom, tom-tom or TomTom's yeah. And I, I, I refused to turn it on cause it was, <laughs> you know, it was so <laughs> because navigating was a thing I loved. And navigating is still a thing I love. I think it's a thing. It's a, God, it's one of my number one favorite things to do. Go into a place. I don't know how to find my way around and learn it. Learn how to, not just learn how to get from place to place, but learn what's in between. Learn all the places. Mm-hmm. Um, and And, and I, what you're saying is absolutely right. We will arrive at a place where, a place very soon where no one knows how to read a map and that has been presented to them as a, as a hack, right? Why would you need to learn It's sort of like, why would you need to learn to tell time? Because we have digital watches now. Why would you need candles in your house? Why would you need to be able to learn to do, um, why would you need to memorize your multiplication table? Because we have calculators. Why would you need to learn to use an encyclopedia or have ever seen an encyclopedia? because it's all in our, it's all in the cloud and this is, it's always presented as, and this is, I'm sure there are people listening who feel like this is curmudgeonly, but, um, but the idea that all of this is now located somewhere and held, not necessarily in common, but, you know, is either accessible and exploitable or not depending on, your access, which is what your access to this, which is for pay, mm-hmm. um, it does feel handicapping because it isn't because the like Waze is an interesting program because Waze tries to predict in real time when there's traffic tie ups in it. And having used Waze a few times, it routes you through really interesting. Little neighborhoods, routes you wouldn't have otherwise taken. But Waze is a video game. You're just following Waze. It's not like you're I mean, it's interesting maybe for your passenger, if your passenger's paying attention, but you're not driving through these different areas and soaking them in, taking, you know, taking away any knowledge of um what it's like to drive through this part of town or or at, at all recalling the route in the in the context of the larger geography of where you are you're just you're following a bouncing dot you're uh you're a pac-man and in the and and i guess what i guess the ultimate argument for everything is efficiency and my and that's where i become incredibly suspicious because i ask efficiency in the service of what and i've talked about this before that that within an engineering context, if enge- if you're living in a culture where engineers are your priests, engineers feel like efficiency is a, um, uh, the 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 benefits of efficiency are readily apparent. Like efficiency is the highest order of good it, from the, the standpoint of an engineer. And yet efficiency is not Efficiency in the service of nothing or efficiency like recapitulated efficiency in the service of efficiency isn't a, um, that's not really a very good religion to have be at the center of your culture. If efficiency isn't serving something greater than, uh, than just increasing the pace I don't see what, I don't see what the point is. And, and uh, eventually like we once upon a time, were pursuing efficiency in pursuit of leisure. More efficiency meant meant more leisure, but that's not how it's panning out. More efficiency just means more time to be pursuing um, the chimera or these, you know, you feel like you're at the dog track and there's some robot rabbit (laughs) uh that we're all chasing after and when we catch it we're like huh this wasn't a rabbit after all but then it starts to move again and we're like ah chase so how do you find how do you take the red pill and and get flushed out of your um spinal tap plastic pod full of goo Mm -hmm. (laughs) down into a sewer system where you're picked up by an inexplicable submarine craft. I'm not sure. Submarine craft where all the people in really nice suits are suddenly revealed to be in threadbare clothes. How do you, how do you perform that act of, um, of escape of jettison? To get back to a place where, where leisure is possible, like where, where, yeah, where leisure is possible. Even, even my friends who practice Bikram are in their little Bikram hole for an hour. What's a Bikram hole? A Bikram hole? (laughs) Mm-hmm. Bikram is a form of now discredited hot yoga. Okay. Uh, And it's discredited because apparently Mr. Bikram is a creep. Oh. But before Mr. Bikram was revealed to be a creep, which has only happened fairly recently, Bikram was this style of very, very militantly hyper-regulated super hot yoga that was just like every sort of fad was proclaimed to be completely revelatory and um, just puts your body and mind and spirit all in alignment through sweat, okay. through blood, blood, sweat and tears and being told what to do by somebody else, by a strong father figure. Um, but even that, even the pursuit of that kind of method It's scheduled for an hour. And I guarantee you, if you stand outside of a hot yoga place, every single person walking out the door is looking at their phone and seeing what happened in the hour that they were gone, catching up, catching up on what they missed while they were spending their hour in contemplative repose, right? Not repose. I'm sorry. Contemplative pose. And it maybe is in my nature to advocate for sitting under a tree and um, you know sitting under a tree like a thoughtful donkey to advocate for the benefits of it not just as a hour-long retreat but as a pursuit because I'm not sure it's very dangerous to look at what you do and say what is the what am I accomplishing for the greater good? It can be scary to realize that your work or your whole career has been in service of a thing that is, that has no direction, you know, that you're working for someone else's dream and that dream doesn't mean anything. Um, and it's scary even to say I'm working on behalf of my own dreams and ultimately they don't mean anything, but we're, we are against, we're against leisure. Now is, is where we are. Your leisure time should be filled with consumption of information or fake news or data or games it should be, you should be full all the time. Full, full, you should be satiated and then some soaking in it. Right. And I mean, I guess that's what I loved about exploring cities that I, where I didn't have a map. Like I was taking things in, but it was at a, it was a slow pace that was increasing my connection To where I was and offering me like spontaneous opportunity to have face to face encounters with other human beings and being able to see layers of history and layers and, and none of this was packaged for me and it didn't rely on, I mean, the, the, what we can never know about what's on the internet is what isn't on the internet and following your, following your wiki hole going down your, down, going down your beak room hole to your wiki hole, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Like when I'm chasing hyperlinks, what I never can really see are the hyperlinks that aren't there because I, because I didn't write these wiki entries and I'm not, I'm not always in a position of reading everything with the, the most critical appraisal. So you're reading an article and you don't, You don't miss the missing paragraph that has the missing hyperlink because that's not how you're reading. You're, you're, uh, you're bop, bop, bobbling along. And the, sometimes the reason the missing paragraph isn't there is that an editor felt like it didn't belong. Sometimes the reason it isn't there is that no one considered it. It just isn't on the internet yet or ever. And, walking along through a city, looking for where you're supposed to be. You're the things that you, that you see, I mean, you can turn your eyes off and just walk down the sidewalk staring at the ground. But if you wake up and look around, there's all the things that, that you wouldn't discover if, if this tour was guided, all the things that if you were, if you had an AR headset on, all the little shops that don't have a website. And if you're interacting with it, with this quote unquote augmentation, what you're, what you're actually experiencing is a, is a de-augmentation.
0: Yeah, I totally agree. But what people are afraid of is that they're going to, they're either, there's two things that people are afraid of. I think in this kind of situation. The first one is that they're missing out. Yeah. That they could be doing something that everyone else is doing, or they're not doing the right thing. Uh, or two, that they're wasting time. Well, Oh, did you, what did you do? I walked around, uh, and I kind (laughs) of got lost and I found something. I, I ate lunch at a pretty good place, but Oh, well you didn't do this. You didn't see that. You spent all day in, New York City, and you didn't do these ten things, and you could have done right. all ten of those things. Well, what did you do? Well, I kind of walked around, I looked at a bridge for a while and <laughs> uh-huh. and, and you know and and if you again flash back 20 years, fifty years, a hundred years, that was sightseeing just sort of wandering around, figuring out your way around, that was a wonderful way to spend a Sunday or a Tuesday.
1: There wasn't a top ten places you needed to see on your two days in New York.
0: Right. I mean, you simply were there to explore and experience things. And now, it's like, okay, well, you know, what does Yelp say about that? Well, let's not go there, because it only got four, you know, four out of five stars. So that's, I don't want to waste my time at a (laughs) four-star restaurant.
1: That person that was like, The food was really good and the service was really good, but there was a misspelling on the menu. One star.
0: Right. (laughs) I don't want to go to a place that has not misspelled because this other place, that's where all my friends went and they said to go there. So that's just, I just went there.
1: Well, and I don't know how, I don't know how to. What would I miss if I, if I detached? Like. Really. Mm-hmm. What would you miss? I You're already love, off Twitter. I love Wikipedia. Being off Twitter has been great. You could print you could print Wikipedia out. Mm-hmm. Keep it that, with you in a bag. That's that's real old. old <laughs> I mean, when my dad died, I went through his file cabinets and found all the emails that he'd printed out, including the ones that were like, hi, dad, just checking in. See uh, you later. <laughs> printed them out but uh,
0: I love that. And I used to have a boss when email was early and he liked to get his, like he'd like to get his email printed out. Like that's how he that's related how what, to stuff.
1: That's what being a boss is all yeah.
0: about. Like say, so the, the woman that was his like executive assistant would print out the emails set it, set it right down on his desk and he'd, he'd read it and then he'd go out and can you get back to, uh, to this guy and tell him no, tell him no. <laughs> so she would send the email. <laughs> It was great.
1: <laughs> yep. Yep. What, what would I? Yeah, what would you miss? What What would be the thing you would miss most? Wikipedia. What I thought I loved about Twitter was that I was in conversation. I was seeing what other people were interested in, and I was available. I was available to people that wanted to talk. And I didn't even mind a periodic argument with people that took issue about a thing, Mm -hmm. but that availability also came with the, with the, with the sort of dual consequences of both becoming accustomed to and needing the constant reinforcement of people saying, love you, love you, love you. Mm -hmm. And then the flip side, the occasional, Like unexpected, unforeseen kick in the balls (laughs) of someone at replying you when they're, you know, or subtweeting you, somebody including you in a thread where the consensus of the thread is, oh, John Roderick, you mean that racist or whatever, (laughs) you know, right? where you feel like, well, wait a minute, what are you, what does that mean? Like, what are you referring to? First of all, who are you? Second of all, why are you including me in this? And then you want to you want to you want to you defend yourself. What are you talking about? I'm not a racist. And then all of a sudden, you're in an argument with somebody who misheard or misread or misinterpreted, or is just a shitty person. And you know, and they have 15 followers, and you're and they're and now they have your attention. And it became a lot of that in recent days but also like my friends aren't that interesting anymore. They're jumping up and down, waving their own arms and, and fielding all that kind of stuff in their own feeds. And it just started to feel like a, it started to feel like a swap meet where nobody was selling anything good. We're all out at the Rose bowl with our little tables set up and we all have garbage and people are walking around spitting on the ground. Right. You know? Right. Or even the people that come by and are like, I love everything at your table. It's amazing, but they don't buy anything. So being away from there is, it really has freed up not space in my head, but space in my emotional life. Like I don't, I don't care about not being on an, like having an hourly and minute by minute relationship with the news. Like I never felt like that was necessary. It was always fine to, to come in at the end of the day and figure out what the, what uh, the gossip is, what everybody's upset about. I don't mind that at all. I don't miss that at all. It's not necessary. It's cleared out some emotional landscape where I'm not, I'm not chasing that, robot rabbit Mm -hmm. and i'm also not feeling the real dissatisfaction of actually catching the robot rabbit discovering it's a robot and not and being powerless to stop right and that so that feels like really validating getting off social media is is surprisingly easy it's pulling back from from feeling like having all the world's information in my hand and accessible at all times is, is an like unalloyed good where I just pick up the phone and I go, that's a cool building. What is that? Google. Oh, what's the, you know, what's the, what's the average rainfall on the Amazon basis? Google. Basin. Right. and, and not just like sitting and fucking dealing. How do I do that? You know that two days ago it was Valentine's day mm-hmm. and we needed to make valentines for my kid's school. Mm-hmm. We said, how many valentines do we need? Well, there are 22 kids in our class, two teachers. We need 24 valentines and we pulled out 24 valentines and we started to work on them and we didn't have a class list so we were it was a memory test right. how many well let's see what about this what about and she gradually worked through and remembered every kid and we kind of tried to figure out what the spelling of their name was oh, and wow. we made made all these valentines it took us a while sitting at the table but when we got to the end we only had 23 valentines And we sat, we had this one Valentine left that we knew belonged to somebody. We couldn't remember who it was. And we thought and thought, racked our brains. Who could it be? We (laughs) looked at the girls. We looked at the boys. Couldn't figure it out. And in the end, I said, you know, take this blank Valentine to school. And when you get there and you realize who the missing kid is, make the Valentine to that kid before you know, before anybody's the wiser. Right. She's like, okay, good, good plan. Hmm. So we get to school. Um, I walk her into the class and the, she announces at the top of her voice, I made Valentine's for everybody except for one person. We couldn't figure <laughs> out who the last person was, but I brought a blank Valentine. And when I figure out who that person is, I'm going to make the Valentine for them." And everybody went, Oh, uh-huh," And the teacher was like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So when I came to pick her up at the end of the day, I was like, who was the missing Valentine for? And she said, there were a lot of kids absent. There were like six kids absent and we never figured out who the missing Valentine was. for. <laughs> the teacher thought about it. I thought about it. We just couldn't get to the bottom of this mystery. I was like, wow, this is really a conundrum. And we were sitting at the breakfast table this morning and she's eating her little breakfast and I'm eating my little breakfast. And she said, wait a minute i'm the missing valentine i
0: thought you were gonna say that
1: and of course like there are a lot of people listening and and i i heard you recognize it pretty early on in the story Mm -hmm. it's a certain kind of mind you know that's that's like a classic mensa test right (laughs) that's the type of thing that that it's like Marilyn Voss Savant wants you to join Mensa. Here, take this quick test. There are 22 kids in the class, and you've made 21 Valentines. Who's the missing student? But honestly, it confounded us and the teacher, and when, you know we were like confounded. But the five-year-old figured it out, and it happened at breakfast, when this thing was in our past and you know that she was either sitting and thinking about it or that she'd thought about it enough. And then the answer popped into her head, but it felt like, Oh, there that's the, that's a moment in her life and in mine where we didn't have a class list. Right. We didn't, go online and see if we could find one. We didn't email a parent and ask them for a class list. We didn't we weren't paralyzed by the lack of class list. We sat and worked it out old school style. Not because it was an experiment, but just because it didn't occur to me yet, frankly until right now to email a, another parent and get a class list, which is dumb. I should that should have occurred to me. And here was this puzzle and eventually she solved the puzzle and we, and it was just from this old fashioned method of having the puzzle in your head and turning it over and over. Yeah. And, and I just wonder how many of those are missing from my own life now. Those little puzzles, those questions about the Amazon rainforest that I'm not giving myself the opportunity to think about, to puzzle over, to resolve or leave, un- leave unresolved. And what the benefit of that is to me that, that I should be paying so much for it.